Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. As you're being seated, if any kids want to join the parade, the Children's Chapel, the kids are invited to head off to Children's Chapel with Meg. Discord, division, polarization, incivility. And the words we use to describe today's politics are all pretty ugly. And today I want to ask, how does a Christian, how does a follower of Jesus engage political questions? That might make some of you nervous. Well, it's good to be nervous from time to time. I know some of you would prefer a preacher who steers clear of politics. And today I want to talk a little bit about why I don't think that that's a good idea. And politics was ugly in Jesus' day like it is in our own. Jerusalem, particularly the setting for Jesus' questioning today, was a pressure cooker. And today we learn a little bit about Jesus' politics. We read today that the Pharisees have heard that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees. To understand what's going on, you have to know that these are two religious and political parties. They don't get along. The section of Matthew's Gospel that we've been reading for the past few weeks, it's a setup. It's a long discourse between Jesus, his disciples, and the Jewish parties. The religious and political parties of his day set Jesus up. They're listening for language. And the Pharisees, who hate the Roman Empire's occupation, ask Jesus whether it is lawful to pay a tax. The Sadducees, who are quite comfortable with Rome, think the Pharisees have invented a bunch of religious nonsense. So they ask Jesus about marriage and the resurrection. In both cases, Jesus' answer challenges his questioners. He refuses their categories. He doesn't play their word games. Words are powerful in politics. They are the currency of the discourse. Words matter. Particular words, particular phrases are charged in our politics today. Do you want to know where someone stands in the politics of immigration reform? Listen to whether they use the words undocumented immigrant or illegal alien. I'm sure you can think of other examples of charged language. There were particular turns of phrase, particular words that matter in Jesus' time, and the story we have today reflects some of that background. Both the Sadducees and the Pharisees want Jesus to either endorse or reject their particular pro political position, their choice of words. They want to know from Jesus, whose side are you on? There's a right and a wrong answer, they think, before they put these questions to Jesus. Jesus disarms their questions. I told you a story earlier this year, right when our group got back from visiting El Salvador. While we were making the trip back in June, my friend Grace made a fascinating observation. Now, some of you know Grace. She has a Sunday morning job at another church, keeps her away from our worship services. But she often serves with us down at the Trinity Meal for the Hungry, and she comes to evening programs around here. Grace had some real insight into why I and so many people say they feel at home in the country of El Salvador. People often remark on Salvadoran hospitality. 
It's a hallmark of the culture. Salvadorans take the time to greet you, to ask you how you are, to really listen. And Grace noticed that among the Salvadorans, people weren't on edge politically with us in the same way we seem to be with each other in the United States. She said, they're just not on edge. And I thought, she's right. Have you felt this on edgeness? Have you found yourself not really listening to another person, just readying your talking points on a particular political topic? I know I have. Have you found yourself on the receiving end? I've set off some reactions from people. I, I've even set off some sets of talking points that I agreed about. But once you get somebody rolling, it's just, here are the words. Grace noticed down in El Salvador, the edge was off. People spent more time listening to one another and less time correcting. At least with us, the Salvadorans were less on edge. Words were less charged. The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says that on edge tension can be called dualism. We are set up in our culture like they were in Jesus's to see this or that black or white, male or female, gay or so-called straight, conservative, liberal, Sadducee, Pharisee. Dualism is a trap, says Rohr. We are taught to look for the other, the opposite, and to oppose. We don't hear nuance. You are with us or against us. The tension of the two poles, the opposites, it's not of God, says Rohr. There's always a third way. We can move past dualism. What does this non-dualism look like? Non-dualism looks like Jesus' politics, I want to venture. In each of these encounters, Jesus has really listened. He understands where his questioners are coming from. He knows their positions well. Well enough that he's able to challenge them on their own territory using their own charged language, but always with a surprise. And today, the Pharisees, those keepers of the law, they ask Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? This is a trap. Jesus knows if he elevates any of the Ten Commandments above another, the Pharisees will declare he is unfit as a teacher. Jesus finds a third way. He breaks through their dualistic thinking. Jesus' response is a faithful response, and it's a political response. When we're unfamiliar with the parties, it might be hard to hear the politics. But Jesus in directly engages the politics of his day. These questions are religious, but they're also about whether he gives fealty to Rome or to Jewish separatists. Jesus encounters this charged question, this partisan language, and the Pharisees are setting him up. And Jesus' response is generous to the ones who would seek to be his adversary. Jesus says, I know you're trying to trip me, but I also know you love God. You love God and you love scripture. I see you Pharisees. Let me answer your question. Let me take your setup and respond with wisdom and with love. See, the rabbis hold that Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Shema, contains the whole truth of Scripture. 
So Jesus quotes it to these Pharisees, chapter and verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He doesn't pick one commandment. He reframes the whole debate. Then he adds his own words. He goes beyond their question. The second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus drops the mic. How many of you could quote those words I just read? My guess is a good portion, maybe even a majority. Even in an Episcopal church, we inadvertently memorize some scripture. (laughs) If you knew these words, there's good reason. Jesus' response to this charged question becomes the simplest distillation of Christian teaching. Love God. Love neighbor. The rest is just details. Those details can sometimes loom large in the church. You may be surprised, but sometimes the church has its own politics. Some of you might have been surprised to see the words Reformation Sunday printed on your leaflet today. Some Episcopalians seem unsure whether or not we are Protestants. If you're unsure, come and take my pilgrimage class, the class for newcomers and inquirers. We'll talk through the history. I am a proud Protestant, I need to let you know. And if there is a year to celebrate the Reformation, it's this year. I even got an invitation to a celebration of the Reformation from the Archbishop of St. Louis this year. 500 years ago, this Tuesday, Martin Luther mailed his 95 theses to his bishop. And he probably nailed them up on that door of the church in Wittenberg. And some of his ideas had been circulating for a while before Luther. But Luther publicized and he pushed. And the Archbishop of Canterbury had an article out this weekend where he said if Luther was alive today, he would have tweeted the theses. (laughs) In his own way, Luther's move was in the vein of Jesus. Now, Luther was not like Jesus in a number of ways. His language could be pretty harsh even owning that Luther was a product of his time and sometimes traded in prejudice, his work can be read as an act of love and a search of the way out of the simplified systems, the language games of his day. Luther had served in a church that had strayed in some deeply strange territory. And people on Sunday morning hardly ever received bread and wine made holy maybe once a year. Instead, priests were paid to perform mass hundreds of times a week to help dead relatives out of purgatory. The Archbishop of St. Louis, even the Pope, are celebrating the Reformation this year because Luther won. He helped the church to refocus. Even the Catholic Church agrees with the Lutherans these days about indulgences, the language of worship, and the function of grace. Now, as the gay married and ordained son of a woman priest, (laughs) I have to say, I'm still protesting. We have a long ways to go in the Catholic Church. We have a long ways to go in most of the church universal. I'm going to continue to protest and to proclaim a proud Protestant identity. Luther's Reformation, Luther's protest, was motivated by deep love. 
Luther loved God. He loved Jesus and he loved the church. The great reformer wanted to see the church follow Jesus. Luther was not content with the politics of his day. These questions were mixed. So he found a new way to engage, new language. His engagement cost him. He was excommunicated by the Pope and condemned by the Holy Roman Emperor. For Luther, like Jesus, spiritual responses had political implications. Luther's question today becomes our question. How does a follower of Jesus engage in politics? The bar is pretty high. When it comes to politics, words matter. But wisdom matters more. Listen deeply to those with whom you disagree. Look for ways to love them. Then challenge the whole system. Do not be content with pat party answers. Don't settle for simple polarization. Find creative words, words that bring life, action that challenges the status quo. How can we continue that reformation? How could we take that reformation outside the walls and start to remake our city, our nation, our world? How could we let the love of God and the love of neighbor loose on our street? Luther would want me to point back to Jesus and to the grace of this gospel today. Jesus' patient and faithful response to those who would be his political adversaries reminds us that if we, were, if we would love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, we're going to have to stretch. We are going to have to open our minds, strengthen our souls, and stretch our hearts. If we're going to participate in Jesus' politics, we must be willing to grow in wisdom, in depth, and in love. Amen.